and welcome to Afternoonified, the leading cause of weird icebreakers at your next dinner party. I'm Emily. And I'm Ryan. Who's ready to learn about some corpses? So what is an incorruptible saint? Why are incorruptible saints? And who are incorruptible saints? We are going to tell you, but first a little disclaimer, we might talk about some things that are a bit nasty today fleshy things. So if you're not into that, you might want to tune out. I can think of a few people who are really into that. Yeah, so maybe this is more of Most of them are in jail. <laughs> Just say, let's, let's hope this isn't like a fetish thing. Oh, um, we are in no way trying to discredit the Catholic religion and what they believe, but we are going to try to present some theories about what's going on with Incorruptible Saints. I just, I don't want to get angry emails from priests. <laughs> Or from anyone that I used to go to school with. Yes. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Emily is an ex-Catholic schoolgirl. So anyway, um, we should tell the nice people what incorruptible saints are. That we probably should. So incorruptible saints often come from France and Italy, other European countries. Um, France and Italy tend to be the main ones, though. Uh, That's where we, a lot of Catholics live. Well, that would make sense. So, I mean, you're not... Spain, too, but... Yeah. But, I mean, you know, like, you don't see a lot of incorruptible saints coming out of Australia. I guess it probably has to do with the distribution of Catholics. Saint Nigel. (laughs) Sorry. Saint Nigel. (laughs) Keep going. Yes. Okay, so these places, primarily France and Italy, uh, a lot of churches display the deceased corpses of saints. I'm sorry, you said deceased corpses. I... (laughs) Well, they're not zombies. (laughs) Okay. Fair. That's fair. That's... Totally fair. You can never tell in this day and age. So these bodies are on display, and which that's super creepy in itself. They're on display because their bodies haven't like decomposed to the extent that you would think would be normal for how long these guys have been dead, which in some cases is like hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, it also means that they haven't been artificially preserved or naturally mummified, and that's the important distinction. One of the qualities that they look for in these corpses when they're testing them to see if they're incorruptible or not is that they're still flexible, so that rules out mummification, because a mummified corpse would be stiff. In a lot of cases, yeah. I feel like there are some instances out there that's not important right now. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, it does make sense incorruptible saints. Like, it says that they weren't artificially preserved, but we found in cases that some of them... Yeah, spoilers! Spoilers! (laughs) So many spoilers. (laughs) So, we know that these saints haven't decomposed and we have put them on display because they were dug up as part of the canonization process, which is uh, the process of becoming a saint. It is a really, really long, drawn-out thing. Um, It can take sometimes, like, decades. You have to have miracles attributed to you. And it used to be that incorruptibility was a miracle that would be counted towards um, sainthood, but now there's been a lot of discrepancies, and it's it's more like just something cool that you can be as opposed to, like, a miracle. Yeah. The guidelines in place uh, that surround what would count as incorruptible help to rule out some possible causes, but that doesn't really take into account just how weird the human body is and how weird nature itself can be. Also, side note, um, the Catholic Church does not keep a list of all the people being claimed as incorruptible. Which made this episode really hard to write, didn't it, Emily? Um, maybe. <laughs> a lot of things made this episode hard to write. It was a very emotional process for me. If you are interested in finding out, like, the most complete list that we know of is a book called The Incorruptibles by Joan Carol Cruz, and it was written in the 70s. 
and this woman was very, very Catholic. So it is a little bit biased, but it does give a pretty good overview of who is in the game Yeah, um, as of, like, 1975. So it's a, it's a great book. I purchased it. Um, it is nowhere near as creepy and cool as I thought it was when I was in grade school and I first read it. In fact, you read it in grade school, I think, is creepy. It was in the school library. Like, that was just a thing that, like, children could could check out and, yeah. you, and read. You Catholics are weird. Not that we're slamming the Catholic Church, but some of these Catholic things are a little strange. No, we're pretty weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> Getting back to it, there are some possible theories that explain what happened. Um, no one can really say for certain because no one has tested the, a lot of them out. Like, the nuns who watch over some of these bodies in the churches where they're on display aren't just like, oh, here, take the corpse and run some scientific tests on it. Like, yeah, go ahead and, and slay St. Bernadette up. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> Speaking of St. Bernadette, that's who I think we should start with today. She's one of our better documented saints. She is technically called St. Bernadette Subaru. She was a French shepherd girl born in Lourdes in 1844. I know I'm probably saying that wrong. I'm going to butcher a lot of the names because Emily really loves to write out these episodes in a way that makes me say all the hard names. And I'm not good at pronouncing them. Thinking about... St. Bernadette driving around in, in, a her, Subaru. in her outback. Yeah, and yeah, her little forester. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so during St. Bernadette's childhood, she claimed to have been visited by the apparition of a young woman. At one point, that young woman told her to dig a spring in her hometown of Lourdes, France. Um, that spring is still there, and it's considered a place of like healing. Uh, and that woman that appeared to her was said to be the Virgin Mary, by the way, which is interesting. Uh, unfortunately, but also fortunately, it could be creepy if she lived, but um, Bernadette did die after moving to Nevers. Uh, she became a nun there, but she did die in 1879, and she was only 35. Cause of death was tuberculosis, which, little fun fact, a lot of people call that the White Plague. It's a little plagueist. Yeah, right? Is there one that's, like, more, like, better than the other? Like, oh, you got the White Plague? Black Plague is where it's at. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> Apparently she forgot about that whole healing spring thing because she died from tuberculosis. <laughs> um, Ooh, wicked burn. <laughs> <laughs> Her body was exhumed in 1909, uh, although it didn't decompose too badly, which is surprising. There were really specific reports regarding what people saw when they dug her up, though. I'm going to abridge the hell out of this account because they went into some detail. It's it's crazy. But I will put the entire thing on the website, you know, just to help you guys out. So they said, we, they being some church elders, like the mayor of Nevers, like a bunch of people who had really no business digging up a young woman, but that, that's not my business. So they said, we noticed no smell. Her habit was damp. The nose was dilated and shrunken. The mouth was open slightly, and it could be seen that all the teeth were still in place. The hands were perfectly preserved, as were the nails. Side Sidebar from me, nails take way longer to decompose than, like, muscle tissue and skin, um, because they're made from keratin, which doesn't... Well, I mean, skin is too, but the keratin in your nails is in a different arrangement, and that arrangement doesn't allow for a lot of... It doesn't have any liquids in it, a lot of soft tissue, so that does take a long time, as do teeth. Yeah, and like they said, that her teeth were still there, and her hair was still there as well, which also um, takes longer to decompose. Like, there are some corpses out there 
who aren't Catholic saints and who have mostly decomposed that still have like little strands of hair stuck to their head. Mm-hmm. Well, because if you think about it, hair is already dead. So even the stuff you're carrying around with you all the time, that's already dead. So how much deader does it get when you die, really? Well, and in some cases, people have dug saints up and said that their hair and nails have grown since they died. But that's actually just because when you die, your skin starts to hydrate and it shrinks. And so more of the hair or nail is visible. Yeah. Um, I think that actually happened with St. Bernadette hmm. or another lady saint from around the same time. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Anyway, I'm going to go a little further uh, with the quote here. So this is not me talking. This is whoever it is that dug up her body. When the habits had been removed and the veil lifted from the head, the whole of the shriveled body could be seen rigid and taut in every limb. The stomach had caved in and was taut like the rest of the body. It sounded like cardboard when struck. I don't have any cardboard around here. Should insert. You probably have cardboard laying around, even if we don't. Just go ahead and give it a tap. Yeah, go punch it. We'll wait. That's what it would sound like. Yep. If you punched a dead saint in the stomach. <laughs> We're going downhill fast. Just use your imagination. <laughs> so rigid. We're getting back to this quote. So, ah, I don't like ending on so rigid. All right. <laughs> so rigid was the body that it could be rolled over and back for washing. Which, can you not roll a, like, flexible body back and forth it's for washing? It's harder. The limbs are floppy. <laughs> it would be, it really would be, I can't imagine it would be that much harder. It would harder be like, stiff. like trying to flip a really well-stuffed body pillow over as opposed to your drunk friend. I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so rigid was the body that it could be rolled over and back for washing. The lower parts of the body had turned slightly black. This seems to have been the result of carbon, of which quite large... Large quantities were found in the coffin. Um, carbon also absorbs moisture, but, you know. But her appearance generally makes a really good case for moisturizing. It puts the lotion on its skin. <laughs> Silence of the Lamb of God. A classic. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so after this whole process, she was washed, reclothed, and then she was reburied in a... Buried. She was buried. <laughs> reburied in a double-sealed coffin until 1919. Um, she was still looking pretty good when they dug her up again, except for the part where they found that her skin was, like, graying, it was shriveled, and it had become mildewy in some places. Um, but still, her organs hadn't, like, putrefied yet. Just remember that she was in a double-sealed, presumably airtight coffin, and also she was washed before they put her back in there, so her skin was most likely a little bit damp, which could have, you know, mildew. Like, yeah. That's it's like putting it a wet towel in your laundry basket and leaving it there for it's, a while. She's the wet towel. She's the wet towel. <laughs> and the ground is the laundry basket. Oh, wow. Okay. They exhumed her one more time in 1925, but this time she stayed exhumed. They did not bury her again. They did take a wax replica of her hands and her face... Uh, and then they moved her body to a crystal and gold reliquary in the Church of St. Bernadette in Nevers, which is some fancy stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to be buried in crystal and gold. <laughs> Put my ass on display. The wax mask and hands, by the way, were made because the lovely churchmen thought that her shrunken eyes and her dark skin and her shriveled nastiness would alarm visitors, which they were probably right. Um, so she's actually kind of covered in wax. You can't actually see her skin. She's been there ever since, though, and we don't have any word on how decomposition is actually currently going for her right now. Yeah, I don't think they've, they've cracked her reliquary open in quite some time. 
Yeah. I'd really like to know what it smells like, which sounds weird, but if it, she does smell, that means that she's decomposing and that will give us kind of... We can uninterruptible her. Well, then again, she was incorruptible long enough. That yeah, I think, counts. well, there is this thing where, like, if they start out incorruptible, then they're just always considered incorruptible. Yeah. It's kind of like being president. Um, once you're president, you're once always you're president, president. You're always, like, Mr. President. Like, we're going to talk about some people later that started out incorruptible and then they decomposed, but they're still considered to be incorruptible saints. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. We started with the hardest saint first... Not to get it out of the way, but just because she was so well documented. And, I mean, she should have started to rot, like, immediately. Like, especially with the disease coursing through her veins. Yeah, tuberculosis is not kind, friends. No! I couldn't leave well enough alone with this one. Um, or any of it. But she came out of the ground looking way, way too fresh for someone who had been dead for any period of time. So we're going to entertain a couple ideas. Um, if you'll go along on that journey with us. Pine coffins are one theory I came up with because that wood has some antiseptic and antifungal qualities to it, and it's also really cheap, so it's really easy for like a nun on a budget to get a hold of. What might you call it? A nudget. You would call that a nudget. And so it could slow down the rotting significantly, especially if she was dug up again before the wood itself began to rot. Um, which she was not buried for that long. Like, long enough that she should have decomposed, but not super long. Yeah, oh, exactly. Um, another thing that could have contributed, actually, is just simple body chemistry. Everybody, as we know, is made up a little bit differently. And when you die, the first thing that happens is that the bacteria in your gut and the enzymes in your pancreas start to run amok and they basically eat your body alive. Well, I guess eat your body dead because you're not alive anymore at this point. <laughs> but these enzymes and these bacteria vary a lot from person to person. And not for nothing, saints often fasted. Uh, a lot of the time they belonged to... Uh, what would you call them? I was religious like, orders. Religious. I always call them like nunneries, but I don't think that's Convents. the technical. <laughs> is a nunnery a word? Is no. that a thing, or I, is that like actually, an offensive thing? I've heard thing? it before, but I can't remember where, and I don't know if it was just someone like f***ing it up or not. <laughs> um, nunneries, convents. I cannot remember where monks go. Monas no. Monasteries. Is that it? It is. Okay. You go to monasteries. And a lot I, of them... I picture nunneries as like little factories that like kick nuns <laughs> out. <laughs> um, no, but a lot of monks at monasteries make really good like fruitcake and fudge. There's one here in Oregon. Huh. I think it's... So is it like the Amish are good at quilts? The, the Amish are actually really good at baked goods too. Um, huh. So are Mennonites. Holy Mennonites are such good bakers. I know that's a real big generalization, but... That sounds amazing. I know, right? All right, so this is about saints and Catholicism, not about uh, the Amish, so we're digressing a little. There's a sensation that they call the odor of sanctity, and basically what it is is that saints, after they die, a lot of them are said to give off a sweet smell. However, that is probably attributed to uh, a... It's something called ketosis, and it happens in people who fast a lot and also people that have bad insulin production, uh, so like diabetics. Um, and these people, they can have a problem where their breath will smell of acetone a lot of the time. It just has to do with your insulin. So that might be attributed to what that odor is. Yeah, because I assume people aren't going around smelling the saint's breath when they're breath, <laughs> breath, <laughs> when they're alive. 
so they don't notice it until after they're dead. Why are they sniffing them when they're dead? Well, because they're just, like, laying there. and Might as well sniff their breath. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I don't know what Mother Superiors are, are into. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's probably why it could have been an ongoing issue and they just didn't notice it. That is, that's St. Bernadette and some theories there. Um, those theories can apply to a lot of different saints, but Bernadette was just the one that we chose as, like, the example. Because she's so well documented. Yeah, and she's such a fucking enigma. Like, yeah, she is. I, those things could have contributed to it. Like, I don't know, but it, it pisses me off to no end that I can't come up with a solid answer for her. I, that's, I think, kind of the whole point. Yeah. No one can. That's the whole point of this episode. I, I came into this really wanting to prove people wrong. I did. Like, I was very hell-bent and obsessive about researching this episode. And I came up with some things. Like, I did not lose it completely. But I just did not get to put that, like, final like pin in this. Like, ha, ah, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> it didn't happen for me. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, so let's talk about... St. Paula Frassinetti, who was born in Genoa, Italy, in 1808. Uh, she was a crazy nice lady. Um, lady. <laughs> lady. <laughs> Ladies. Yeah, super nice lady. Uh, she liked to help the poor. She even helped found an order of nuns called the Sisters of St. Dorothy. Um, and she moved around the country being holy and like continuing to help people until she died in 1882 after a bout with pneumonia. And, and I quote... Several strokes. Oi. <laughs> Several. So what you're saying is she was a little bit already a dead person before well, she, she was Well, she was... She held on. I... She was a trooper. Yeah. Um, Jeez. So in 1909, the same year as St. Bernadette, um, her body was exhumed and she was found to be incorrupt. Which, like, we don't have a big description about what she looked like for this. It, like, all the sources I've found just said she was incorrupt. Like, Cool. What did she look like? Well, apparently we'll never know. Or maybe you know, and you can tell me later. They moved St. Paula Frasnetti to the convent of St. Dorotea in Rome, where she's on display. And after moving her, she began to decompose a little bit, um, as most incorruptible saints do after a long enough time. So to counteract this, they actually gave St. Paula a spa day, where they dipped her in carbolic acid, which is a preservative that dates back a very long time. And it, it did work in terms of keeping her... Well, to, intact. In, not intact. It left her skin kind of janky, but she she hasn't started to rot away. So that's kind of where we are on St. Paula. Yeah. So over to Ryan with uh, some stuff on St. Zita. Yay! Okay, so St. Zita was born in 1212 in Monte Sagrati, Italy. And at that time, she was sent to work for a wealthy family in Lucha, Italy. Our little St. Zita here was a very devout girl, and people apparently didn't like her very much at first because of this. She won them over eventually. Oh, she was very nice. St. Zita's such a Mary Sue. Yeah, pretty like, much. Straight up. That was yeah. all I could think about when I was looking stuff yeah. up on her. <laughs> pretty much. I, I yeah. digress. Uh, eventually, she ended up becoming head of the household, um, and she spent a lot of her time tending to the poor and doing nice things as good, good little saints do. She prayed on time every day. She kept up with her job, and she was pretty much the picture of a perfect, pious Catholic woman. 
However, there are a couple of claims surrounding miracles uh, with her, including one where angels baked her bread for her while she had to run out to go help someone out. So angels were baking bread for St. Zita. Um, Actually, I did find out another story about her. Uh, She was sneaking her portions of food out and someone like was trying to catch her like, giving her food away, and so they went to go, like, pull the skirt that she was holding the food in away from her, and just, like, rose petals fell out. I know. Ryan is giving me the best look right now. Like, <laughs> like I just witnessed the actual magic trick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's another story. She's a very bread-based saint. Um, I think she might actually... <laughs> She's carby. <laughs> she actually might be the, the patron saint of, Gluten. like, baked... <laughs> Of bakers. <laughs> that would make sense. She's very, uh, you know, she's got holy bread, so that's important. Anyway, uh, she died <laughs> in 1272. That reminds me of when we first were going through this episode and you kept saying that St. Paula finally died. <laughs> like, it was her time. Like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, about time St. Zita died, uh, 1272, and she was buried in a vault in San Freudian, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, which is a big basilica, which is essentially a big church uh, in Lucha. She was exhumed 300 years later, and it was found that she was actually looking pretty damn fine for a dead woman. I don't know if you use the word fine. She was looking fine. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's how I describe Ooh. saints. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Often how I so describe them. Sexy Saint Zita. <laughs> 300-year-old sexy Saint Zita is now on display in that very same basilica. She's looking very brown and a little dried out, but otherwise she's still in possession of organs. So, you know, A+. Plus. Uh, pathologist Gino Farnasciari, again, pronunciation, don't know, of the University of Pisa, uh, inspected her somewhat recently and said... She is a very beautiful mummy. Perhaps the best mummy I know of among saints. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really love it when people say that mummies are beautiful. Like, it gets me every time. <laughs> like, oh, look at how her hands are twisted in the way that they were held when she was mauled to death by bears. Oh, my God. She's so beautiful. Oh, gorgeous. Oh, I love the way her lips curl back from her non-existent teeth. And how her tongue sticks out. There's... Or it fell back into her throat. Oh, do you remember that um, Chinese mummy that I showed you oh, the picture of? Yes. I will have to like tweet her name at some point because I can't remember it right now. But she is several thousand years old. Like she died in like something BC, and she was so well packed in there that I mean she doesn't look like she died yesterday. She is horrifying, but. She looks like she could have died recently and, like, someone stuck her in vinegar or something, yeah, you know, and um, then, like, tickled her feet, you know, because she's got a weird face on. her tongue is sticking out. It's, it's hilarious. cross-eyed. But, like, but, you could tell what her last meal was. She was so well-preserved. But that is considered a natural and somewhat artificial mummy, I think. Um, yeah, because they packed her full of, like, herbs and stuff, didn't they? No, she had all of her organs. Well, I know, but they didn't they, like, surround her coffin and stuff? Yeah, with, like, she, was, herbs? she was really well-packed um, and super sealed in there. But she's not who we're talking about. Um, We've gotten off topic. Okay, so you guys have met the saints, but... uh, Some of the saints. Some of the saints. Let's not even pretend that's even a portion of the list. (laughs) It's so much bigger than that. But anyway, we are ready to talk about the why. Um, Again, we don't know for certain, so all of these are educated guesses, so bear with us. I have a favorite theory for Paula Zeta and a lot of other saints. Um, Microclimates in their tombs. Nature is... (laughs) 
way weirder than we give it credit for, honestly. And a lot of saints, especially the ones from Italy, were laid to rest in like crypts and vaults underneath basilicas, churches, and all that. Um, these are underground, clearly, um, and the temperature down there hovers around like 58 degrees on like a good day, which is just under the threshold for like optimal bacterial growth. So that kind of helps stop that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I don't know a ton about bacteria, but I do know that... They don't like it when it's that cold. Well, yeah. Like, heat and cold are their two biggest enemies, which is why sand mummies are a thing. Mm -hmm. And also, within, like, individual interment spots, like, they had little holes where they put them in. Like, if you've ever seen the catacombs before, um, and they kind of, like, seal them off. I don't know why I'm gesturing with my hands like these people can't see me. We're just going to go with it. (laughs) It helps you explain. So moisture and, like, airflow can vary in these individual, like, holes that they've been shoved in (laughs) ceremoniously with great respect. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that could explain why, like, Paula and Zita ended up looking so nice when, like, the people in the spots around them didn't. It just really depends on, like, what airflow, moisture, and stuff was like. And then we can also take into account, like, body chemistry like we talked about earlier. It also accounts for why some bodies start to go downhill, like once you expose them to the outside world, Mm -hmm. because the temperature and the just the air is different out there. Yeah. Well, you also have to take into account that a lot of people do step in when decomposition starts, though. Um, Like St. Paula, for example, had her bath in carbolic acid. That kept her very... We're going to go with fresh. Although fresh is not an ideal word. I would say it's closer to being pickled. Oh, there we go. Pickled. This is how these saints end up pickled. Which is literally what pickling is. You're you're putting your cucumbers in like acid. So well, basically, almost not technically, but it's very closely pickled Saint Paula. Pickled Saint Paula. Anyway, so a lot of the people that did intercept are the nuns of their orders, um, and these nuns they're really open about it. They're not the kind of people that are trying to hide anything from you. They're not trying to trick you. They're really honest about what they have done to step into the process of decomposition. St. Julian Amard was given the same acid bath as St. Paula was, but it completely destroyed him. So it really depends on the person too. Um, His remains have been used in the creation of a wax effigy that now stares very, very creepily at his visitors. For some reason, they've chosen to have his eyes open and like staring slightly into the church. It is, it's horrifying. It is. It truly is. Oh, absolutely. Um, A lot of the saints that are labeled as incorruptible and have been put on display have definitely corrupted by now. Like we said, uh, it's not always the fact that they stay incorruptible. It's if they spend any amount of time incorruptible, they get get counted. St. Victoria, St. Camillus de Lillis, which again, thank you for giving me that name. (laughs) St. Cecilia and St. Carlo de Cese are all skeletons that are housed inside of wax effigies or even stored underneath the statue also on display. We're not supposed to believe that these perfect wax faces are the real saint. No one is trying to trick you, so don't feel offended. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at with not wanting to discredit the Catholic Church. Like, very few people... There are some jackasses out there, like, that's clear. But the people who watch over St. Paula, like, they are very open about what happened. The acid. No one... They're not trying to lie to you. Like, they just have this cool thing and they want to share it with you. So you kind of have to... Be open-minded, I guess. Absolutely. There have been instances in the past, speaking of open-minded, where a couple of saints, all of them women from the Middle Ages, um, have been considered 
to be incorruptible only because there was so much concern about their modesty that no one would do a full examination. I think in some cases they lifted the skirts just above the knee and like, oh, cool, cool. Let's call it a day. Like, she mm-hmm. protect her dignity. But finally, like when they did perform full examinations, they found that their organs had been removed. They'd been stuffed with herbs. They've had resin rubbed into their skins. Artificial mummification, which is super against the rules, mm-hmm. um, if you remember. That was the case for Margaret of Cortona. Uh, she was believed to be naturally incorrupt for a really long time before they actually bothered to inspect her all the way. So that's that's kind of what we have. Like like I said, I took this case really hard, and I wanted to believe that there was a proven reason, but the truth is there isn't. It could be a friggin' miracle. I don't, I don't know. We don't. We just flat out don't know. We tried. We did our best. So if you have any insight, if you have any theories, please reach out to us. You can send us an email by getting through on our website, getafternoonified.com. Or if you think you can get a theory out in 140 characters or less, you can always send us a tweet. We are on Twitter at Afternoonified. We are also on Instagram at Afternoonified. And we also have a Facebook, if that's your bag. Um, and that is facebook.com slash getafternoonified. Um, and like Ryan said, we do have the website. We'll also have all of those bonus things that we were talking about, as well as some pictures. Yeah, so remember, kids, don't judge a saint by their wax cover and keep an open mind when dealing with religion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so now you guys are one step closer. You guys are becoming afternoonified like us. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>